when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Any idiot can say whatever they want, and they usually do, and they're negative. And all I see, to me, I've gotten to a point now when I see things like that, I feel sorry that those people feel that way, that their lives don't have the purpose, the passion, and the excitement and the enjoyment that some of us do. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sunbelt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. I said in my press conference back in December that I didn't feel like there was anything in South Carolina that we lacked to be a championship program, that we had everything that we needed. I am even more convinced of that now after being there for seven months. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm flying solo for this episode, but don't worry, got a terrific guest lined up. We got Adam Luckett from Kentucky Sports Radio. Going to talk some Wildcat football, of course, but Adam really does a great job covering the entire SEC. So got a lot of SEC questions for him. He was just came back from uh, SEC Media Days. He was the one that asked Saban about the 12 personnel, and, and Saban kind of had a little back and forth with him that went viral. So I think you guys are really going to appreciate this interview I had here with Adam. But before we get to that, you know, I don't think we've uh, made a big enough deal about this. We harp on the fact that we're getting close to football. How about this? If you are unaware, I know we don't cover a lot of NFL on this show, but uh, I believe it's this Thursday is the NFL Hall of Fame game. And that marks a milestone that I think we could all get excited about because from here on out, all the way through the Super Bowl in February, we got football at least one game a week until February. So, hey, this is the greatest time of the year. Training camps opening all across the SEC this week. So we're going to have tons and tons of content. But unfortunately, you know, we're going to get plenty of news like this. Biggest thing we got to hit on real quick before we get to our interview. Let's jump on down to Baton Rouge. It's my honor to present the national championship trophy to coach Ed Ogeron and the LSU Tigers. Got some uh, unfortunate LSU quarterback, Miles Brennan. The team has confirmed, suffered a significant injury to his left arm. He's going to require surgery. And there's a good chance Miles Brennan is done for the season because uh, according to uh, Brody Miller of The Athletic, he's saying he's broken his uh, humerus bone in his left arm. And I'm told that it's going to take about two or three months just for Miles Brennan to get back. And by that point, if Max Johnson lives up to the hype like I think he will, uh, you know, there's just not going to be a place for Miles Brennan. They're not going to switch it over to him as as well as uh, the LSU could be doing here towards the t- midway to the season, last bit of the season. So, hey, let's hope and pray Miles Brennan can make a full recovery. You know, I, I hate it for him. He's a guy that uh, waited his time and then, of course, had the abdominal injury last year, suffered against Missouri. And when he was in there, man, he was really good. And I think that's overlooked by the fact 
how bad LSU's defense was and certainly didn't do the offense any favors last year. But Miles Brennan, 1,200 yards, 11 touchdowns, only three interceptions in the three games that he played last year and started for the Tigers. A just really unfortunate loss last season due to injury. Now it looks like he's going to miss significant, if not all, all of the upcoming season. So really tough blow here. Silver lining, I hate to even use that term because, uh, you know, you, you never want to look at the a bright side of someone getting injured here. But, hey, that ends the debate there in Baton Rouge. It's going to be Max Johnson's team. He didn't win the uh, competition the way he wanted to, but it's his time to run with it. So they're going into camp without these questions. Now on the other side of the coin here, with T.J. Finley transferring to Auburn, suddenly LSU very, very thin at that quarterback position. Of course, they got Garrett Nussmeyer, the very high on the true freshman. But here's probably your backup, a guy that's never played college football. And Max Johnson, for as good as he was last year at the tail end, hell, he's only started two games. Of course, he's 2-0. So, again, I've been pumping the guy up all offseason. I'm not going to – I'm not pumping the brakes on that. But all of a sudden, LSU's depth at the most important position in the game is razor thin right now. So, we'll see if LSU maybe adds some kind of transfer. Not to – I wouldn't think to compete for the starting job, obviously, but maybe just add some depth. Maybe a, a G5 quarterback that uh, is looking for an opportunity to add depth to uh, LSU's roster. We'll see how that goes, but it'll be tough. I mean, LSU was already a little thin at that spot, so just hate it for Miles Brennan. I mean, guy, he bleeds LSU. Could have. This is one of those guys that uh, certainly could have transferred when Joe Burrow came in. I mean, they they essentially got Joe Burrow to start over this guy and. And it's just never worked out for him, so I hate it for him. Now, one other thing before we get to our interview. <laughs> Rumors are flying. Of course, uh, you know, this is to be expected. It's expansion season. Everybody jumping on the latest rumors all over Twitter, uh, regardless of how credible the source is. And there was one going around that uh, Clemson and Florida State had been interested in joining the SEC and that was just flat out wrong from everything I've been told. Clemson has come out and denied it. And here's the deal. You got to be very careful where you get your information these days, particularly during this expansion talk. Adam McClintock, fan of the show, CFB professor, he put it best. And he put this out over the weekend. If you're unaware, and I was unaware, I, you know, I, I know I had briefly talked about Florida State's president making some interesting comments, but here's the deal. So Texas and Oklahoma, obviously, already come into the SEC. They're, it's called grant of rights deal. That is through the 2025 season. That's why we keep talking about this 2025 date where Texas and Oklahoma are going to try to work their way out of it. Well, here's the deal in the ACC. All those teams, every single one of them, is locked in until 2036. So significantly longer than any of the Big 12 teams. And why is that important? In the ACC, in their contracts, going to that 2036 date, if a team like a Florida State or a Clemson were to leave the ACC, it doesn't matter for the SEC, Big Ten, Independent, whatever, for the next 15 years, any team that leaves the ACC, all the money, every single penny they get from television revenue goes back to the ACC. So... Is it realistic to think Clemson and Florida State are going to join the SEC and then the next 15 years forfeit the largest chunk of money they got coming in? No, of course not. That would be ridiculous. 15 years, I'm saying. 
they would owe the entire thing to the ACC. So don't look for, unless the ACC blows up or something and there's, it just doesn't exist anymore, outside of that, cannot see any of these teams jump into the ACC unless there's some kind of huge flaw in the contract. And uh, as we're going to find out here with Texas and Oklahoma, these contracts are, are pretty stringent. So I uh, do, do not look for uh, a window for any of these ACC teams to be jumping to the SEC anytime soon. And that's been key to why Texas and Oklahoma are coming, because their deal is coming up in the next couple of years. And it, it certainly sounds like they think they can get out of it. So we'll see where that goes. But uh, speaking of that, <laughs> it's almost like I got to talk about Texas and Oklahoma here just quickly here. But the Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby and the Texas President Jay Hartzell, they were both uh, speaking to the Texas uh, state representatives today. They It was a public thing. They had to come in and speak to them. And uh, according to... Texas president, the Longhorn Network is going away upon their arrival to the SEC. He didn't really clarify what that meant, but they're either going to get absorbed by the SEC network or just totally dissolve it, which is something that uh, we've been saying is going to happen with Texas coming into the SEC. They were not going to let one school have their own network. You come into the SEC, you're part of the SEC network, or you don't have a network. And you know, that's an easy choice. It's something that uh, the Longhorn Network, you know, I don't know much about it, but from what I understand is it was not even working out for Texas. So that was not probably something that they fought to keep. And that's probably something Texas A&M, I mean, hell, that's a big reason why Texas A&M wanted to leave the Big 12 in the first place. So again, Texas A&M, you're getting a lot of the things you wanted when you left the Big 12. And now Texas come crawling to you and they won't have their network to hang over your head. And speaking of these hearings, man, I had to uh, throw this one out there. But one of the uh, senators there from Texas, during this hearing, one of the uh, Texas state senators, Lois Colcourst, I hope, hope I'm saying that right. I have no idea. Man, did she roast the Texas president here. Check it out. What's your athletic budget? It's over $200 million. It's probably 220 225 in that range. Where does that put you in the U.S.? Uh, depending on the, how you count, probably first. And that's without a winning football team of late. It's in, in spite of our, in spite of our football team. We, we've been winning, just not like we like to win. Three and seven against the Horn Frogs. Um, <laughs> so um, maybe your fan base would rather lose to Alabama than TCU. So. Oh my goodness. But these are actual comments from a Texas board meeting, whatever the hell it's called down there. But goodness. Uh, they're they're fired up down there that Texas is leaving, and there's no better uh, <laughs> no better example of that than those comments right there from a state senator to Texas President Jay Hartzell. I, I mean, that was just incredible. All right, so enough spieling from me, though. Let's kick it over to our interview with Adam Luckett of Kentucky Sports Radio. Hey, well, we're pleased now to be joined by uh, Adam Luckett. Kentucky Sports Radio. He's been on the show once before. You got to give him a follow at Adam Luckett KSR on Twitter. And he's the host of the best Kentucky podcast out there, the 11 personnel with one of the other uh, friends of the show, Nick Roush. So thanks for uh, joining me, Adam. I really appreciate you. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for the kind words. I know you had Roush on here uh, a couple of weeks ago. So you had to, you had to do the double dip for the 11 personnel. <laughs> you had to finish this out. So glad to join you, my man. It's a uh, 
just the calendar just turned to August and that means we get football this month. So an exciting time um, for us and all of your listeners, really um, the long off season is almost over. Yeah, without a doubt. And of course, Hey man, you've officially made it because you were on SEC yeah. network. You were the man that called, uh, asked Nick Saban about 12 personnel and he was asking you about it. Hey Nick, Adam Lucky, Kentucky Sports Radio. Dave Aranda last week at Big 12 Media Day said defenses now are getting more aggressive, getting negative plays, tackles for lost stacks are more important. So he thinks that an evolution might be 12 personnel, 13 personnel wide zone. Do you kind of see that, the college game going that way, or is it still important to spread it out and hit explosives in the vertical pass game? Um, what, what, what is 12 personnel, you know? I don't, I, I, I got to get up. Two tight ends? Yes, sir. And two wide receivers or one? I'm just kidding. I don't know what 12 personnel is. <laughs> so. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts, man, because, you know, I try not to suck up to the guests too much, but I really think you, if I'm grading you on your media days, you did A-plus <laughs> in your first ever appearance down there in Hoover. Uh, what was it like just covering that event? Thanks, man. I mean, this was like a – career goal for me I guess you would say um, when I started kind of going after like dabbling I guess in sports media I guess would be the right term mm-hmm. that was always like if I can like to me I was like if I can get there then I know I've kind of I don't necessarily made it's the right word but I've really reached a reached a, a level for me so going there I was you know I was pretty much all in like I'm, I'm going there and I'm going to do it right I'm going to ask questions I don't get to talk to these coaches hardly ever I feel like they don't um, not just the, what I'm interested in, I don't think gets asked a lot, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I come from a obviously different background. I didn't, I didn't have no real journalism background. I just picked up and started writing about football one day, <laughs> um, long story short. And so, you know, I think I've got some good answers on that. Um, I thought Lane Kiffin, um, in the analytics answer he went into, I thought that was really good. Um, I wrote about that for KSR. I, I mean, this is stuff like that, that I find, very interesting. And then the Saban thing, man, that was a whirlwind. Um, I was hearing from people I haven't heard from in 10 years and <laughs> Twitter, Facebook, all that was going off. I'm, uh, text messages were crazy that day. My mom actually called me like 15 minutes after it happened. Um, cause she saw the clip and she was like, is she mad at you? Is he going to get you thrown out of the <laughs> SEC media days? I'm like, mom, no, this is, this is good for me. Um, but quick side story that that wasn't even the question I was going to ask Mike, because I originally I was going to ask about, you know, the NFL type background. Cause we've seen a lot of new coordinators come directly from the NFL this off season. Mm-hmm. And someone asked that like three questions before they, before it got to me. And when Saban's in there, you put your hand up, you're lucky if they call on you. And there's a lot of people want to ask him questions. So I was like, you know, they get to me and I'm like, I do, I do want to ask him something, at least throw something out there, see what I can get. Mm-hmm. And so that question had been uh, something I've, I'd gone over with Liam Cohen, Kentucky's offensive coordinator. And the really reason I asked that was, um, cause I kind of asked him about play action, everything under center. And he was like, well, um, I believe you don't have to necessarily get under center. Cause some of the stuff Sark did with Alabama. Um, and I knew doing some film study on them, I knew they used a lot of 12 personnel. So I was just kind of, and then Dave Aranda had those comments. Um, about how he thought it may be like a new wrinkle offense is going to use. So I figured I would ask him that. And then it turned into what it turned into, which was everybody having a good laugh there in the media room. But I did think he gave a pretty good answer after the fact. And then um, 
pulling my chain a little bit on SEC Network and all that. But that that that, that was cool with me. Um, it was just a whirlwind, I guess, is the the best way to put it. It was a crazy, crazy mo- moment for me, and I think a lot of people got a, a a good kick out of it. So just to confirm, on the record, Adam Luckett, did you go to Hoover trying to go viral with this clip here? <laughs> No, I, no, man, I really didn't. I, I swear I didn't. I was just, I, I was, I was going into the event, like, just like, let me ask some questions. Like, obviously, you know, in our career, if you go viral, it's good for yeah. the most part. And so that's obviously what, you know, you're looking for. But I didn't, like, when I hand was up for saving, I did not think I would get that. I thought he would give an answer like he gave. He would be like, yeah, yes and no kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is mo- what most coaches do. Um, but I kind of asked Shane Beamer a similar question earlier in the week and he kind of just gave me a little bit of a runaround um which i mean that's what you that's right. part of the game you know but you know he did uh he did he did give me put me on a ride for sure but man it, it was just crazy and but that's just kind of what i mean you can't be scared in this business you gotta you know they're just guys they're just guys a bunch of guys talking ball at the end of the day yeah. well aside from your first time at hoover you know you did so well who else any first year, uh, well, of course, you know, some of the second year guys too, it was also their mm-hmm. first time. I'm right. thinking Leach and, and Kiff, and I know he was there with Tennessee, but completely different. Uh, is there anyone that stood out to you as uh, really having a, a strong performance at SEC media days? And, and by God, you cannot say Brian Harson. No, yeah, that, that, uh, <laughs> I mean, the whole ballroom was about asleep when, uh, when Brian was going on, but two, two guys for me really stood out and the new, new guys, Lane Kiffin was obviously – I thought he was really good. Uh, Mike Leach, you know, he 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 lived up to his billing. I mean, he's this quirky <laughs> guy, and he's going to give, you know, weird answers and whatnot. But I thought Beamer, Shane Beamer was good. I think what he did really good was he had – like, I think it's fair to think South Carolina's going to have a rough season this year. But he he did a very good job of hitting the selling points of the program, hitting where where they're where they're focusing on right now and where they're going forward. Now it's going to be rough this year, but I thought he did a good job of kind of just selling South Carolina football. And then Eli, Eli Drinkowitz, I thought uh, was really good. You can see why they're having a lot of success on the recruiting trail right now. Like they've got a bunch of blue chip commits. They're on pace to have like a top 15 to top 20 type class right now. I don't think it's something a lot of people are talking about, but that's kind of what they're doing. And then combined with, what he did last year on the field, I'm going five and five was really an overachievement for them. I think you could see why, why he's having some recruiting success and why he, he could be a guy that's really kind of, if they have another big year here, 2021, he's going to be a hot commodity, I think, in the coaching ranks. Has Nick Roush uh, backed off his uh, Dorkowitz uh, nickname for yeah, him? Yeah, we actually talked about that down there. He was like, he was like man, Adam, man. <laughs> I think I'm gonna have to back off on this, man. I don't, this guy, God, you know, yeah. So he, uh, you know, then that's gonna be a big game now, week two there when Missouri comes to Lexington and take on Kentucky. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he, I just think he's because it's kind of weird here in Kentucky because Louisville hired Scott Satterfield from App State, mm-hmm. and now you see what Drinkowitz is doing at Missouri with App State. It's kind of got you wondering, like, did they hire the wrong App State coach? <laughs> Um, because of what he's doing so far. He's hitting a lot of early checkpoints. I think if you're a Missouri fan, I think you got to be pretty excited. Now, one of my favorite things, uh, you know, you, you don't just cover Kentucky. You do a hell of a job doing that, but you cover, uh, you know, the entire SEC and some other teams outside of the SEC. So 
you were pretty vocal with the uh, all SEC ballot and, and some of the mm-hmm. issues you had with it. Could you uh, run, you know, some of the, the things that stood out to you? Could you rehash those for the audience? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, first off, I, how they group these teams makes no sense. You go through a roster, you see a guy's listed as a guard. He's listed as a tackle. It's two different positions. They just kind of clump them together. Mm-hmm. So you get to a point where you have like four tackles on a team and not any guards or vice versa. Linebackers are the same way. I mean, then the secondary is the same way. So you get a, a disproportionate amount of one position over the other. I think we're smart enough, like as football people in general, that we should be able to pick or with a little bit of research, kind of be like, all right, these are the best corners in the league. These are the best safeties. These are the best outside linebackers. These are best inside linebackers. These are best tackles. These are best guards. And so that, that that's frustrating to me when they do this, because I do think these teams, I mean, they matter. Like if Kentucky has a guy first team all SEC, like he gets a plaque on the wall in the football facility. Mm-hmm. And, and they give out a media guy that has all the first team all SEC guys there when you go to Hoover. I mean, that's, that is a, I think that's a big deal. Um, at least it is to me. I think that there should be, but that should be more important. Like in the, when people in the draft community, they don't really look at all SEC teams because of how the selection process is. I just think we should change it. Like, like it's just, it should be a legitimate team and we should have one center, two guards, two tackles, you know what I'm saying? Stuff like right. that. That's the really, that's the stuff that bugs me. And then, that you know biases go into that um alabama mm-hmm. players get benefits of the doubt like one of my big ones was i thought nicobe dean for georgia i thought he was better than henry toa toa last year um i thought it was pretty clear from where i sit and mm-hmm. dean was third team henry toa toa was third team our first team excuse me um it's just little things like that that kind of irked me chris rodriguez was running back six um, we, I'm sure you're going to ask me about Rodriguez, yeah. but that that's that's just a joke. I mean, there's no metric that shows that he's not one of the, either number one or number two back um, in the SEC, unless you're just going off helmet logo and recruiting rankings. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the only two metrics he probably falls behind in. Everything else, um, he checks every box. Um, so, so that those are the things that irk me. But I, I just, I, I just think there's, there, we're just there's a better, there's a more efficient way to do those. And that's really the issue I have with it more than anything. Mm -hmm. Now I am going to get you, you know, ask you about Kentucky, but before we get to that, I wanted to hit on a couple SEC East teams and starting the team I have at the top. I want to see if you do too, the Georgia Bulldogs. Do you, is there any way that you see that uh, they don't win the East this year? It's hard, hard for me to see it. I just think they have the best roster. I think they have the best roster in the league this year, Mm -hmm. talent wise. I think that might be the best roster in the country. You look at them from top to bottom. They've got it on the line of scrimmage. They've got receivers. They've got a quarterback with experience um, and with legit blue chip talent. That's something they didn't have last year until Daniels took over for Stetson Bennett. They've got a bunch of running backs. They've got um, coordinator, um, I guess, uh, back-to-back years, same system in place, coordinator stability with Todd Munkin coming back. It's just it, it feels like it just kind of feels like that it's time you know mm-hmm. it's time for them to finally break through. Um, we'll see how um, they were still a little bit more run heavy towards the end of last year. I think Kirby Smart's going to have to like let, let loose the leash a little bit and let them let them just go on offense. But it just it just feels like the time. And you look at the East, man, like 
Georgia's just heads and shoulders above people, just talent-wise on the roster. Mm-hmm. And then Florida is resetting. And Florida, Florida's the next one, I would think, talent-wise. But for Florida to really get them, I think, and for them to be a contender the way they recruit under Mullen is they just have to have a guy at quarterback. They've got to have one of the best quarterbacks in the country. If they have that, they can they can play with anybody, and I think that's what we saw last year. Mm-hmm. But when they don't have that, then they're they're closer to Kentucky than Georgia, I think, in my opinion. So, and I think this is kind of the reset year. I know a lot of people are bigger on Emory Jones, but there was a lot of surrounding pieces that made that offense great with Trask if they don't have any more. It just feels like kind of a, a reset year there in Gainesville. And then I think after that, um, you're they're right there, Kentucky, Missouri, however you feel about those two teams. And then after that, I think it's another level. I mean, it's all teams kind of rebuilding and kind of trying to find themselves in year one under mm-hmm. new regimes. So it's really kind of a transition year in the East. But then you have Georgia and that, this, this ridiculous amount of talent Kirby Smart's collected both out of high school recruiting and from the portal. Um, and it just feels like it's their time to strike with everything going on around the league. Well, speaking of Emory Jones, you know, that was one thing that stood out to me about Dan Mullen's appearance at media days. It, it seemed it didn't matter who he was talking to. He was hyping up Emory Jones. Mm-hmm. Do you think, uh, you know, he really believes that or do you think he's trying to build confidence in Emory Jones? I mean, you know, that's a tough thing to say, but maybe just based on what you've seen, are, are you seeing the same things that, that Dan yeah. Mullen is? Dan Mullen's a cocky dude now. Like, I think he believes a lot of the stuff that comes out of his mouth. And a lot of it, you know, we've seen is some stupid stuff sometimes. Um, just down there in Hoover, he said they'd never pick us. And literally the year before, <laughs> they picked them to win, to win the league. Um, so, I, I, I really think he believes that because, I mean, he he does, I think, considering himself a quarterback guru, one of the best offensive coaches, and he carries himself like that. So, I do think he thinks he has – um, a chance to have Emory Jones be a pretty good piece. What I worry about um, is their offensive line just hasn't been great, mm-hmm. um, hasn't been able to really control the line of scrimmage. Um, and if they're going to transition to more of like this Mississippi State power run-based attack um, that we saw in Starkville, um, unless what we saw last year, can they? What does that look like if they're if they're not really up to snuff there on the line of scrimmage? Um, I think they could have some struggles there. And then there's a, all the defensive questions that are looming over there with Grantham. There's just a lot of – there's a lot of unknown, I think, for Florida. So, yet yeah, to answer your question, yes, I think Mullen thinks he's got a good quarterback. But I, I have my doubts about the surrounding pieces for Florida. And it just feels like a transition year. Last year mm-hmm. they were great. I mean, we talk – everybody gets caught up in the three-game losing streak. But before that, they were legit, I think, top right. five team. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was a really good year for Mullen – it just some sour grapes and how it ended. Um, but I think even all last year, if you would have talked to a Florida fan when they were, you know, five and one or whatever, they'd have been like, yeah, this feels like a year we need to strike because next year is probably going to be a little bit of reset. And that's what it, that's what it just feels like to me what they're, what they're headed towards. Now you kind of hit on this already, but uh, that Kentucky versus Missouri week two of the season in Lexington, it's going to be a new system for Kentucky on the offensive side of the ball, a new defensive system for Missouri. So, right. How do you rate this game and just the level of importance for, for both teams really. And uh, you know, considering the, the, you know, newness on both sides of the ball for those teams, do you see an advantage one way or another, or is it just kind of tough to predict what, uh, which each team has here? As far as importance goes, Mike, like when you're trying to kind of project in the season, if you're Kentucky and Missouri, you're looking at the year and you're going through your schedule, you can get to eight and four. 
Like you're looking at your schedule, you can get to eight and four. And when you're eight and four in the SEC East, that's an Outback Bowl bid more times than not. And then you're a win away against a big team team in Tampa from finishing the season in the top 25. Mm-hmm. And for Kentucky and Missouri, those are big seasons. Um, those are really seasons you can do, you can build off of and have a lot of recruiting success. We saw Kentucky and Mark Stoops. He ended up having his best class right after they won 10 games, finished ranked. And then the city, that I think presents a big opportunity if you're both of those programs. But to get there, you have to beat the other one. I don't think mm-hmm. there's any getting around that, um, at least to me. Um, and it's real early in the season. You talk about the two new coordinators. Um, first week, each team has a game against a team they're pretty superior to then. So it's going to be a lot of um, not showing much in those games. So there's going to be a lot of unknown going into that game. Um, Drinkowitz talked about this in Hoover. It's going to be his first time at Missouri having to play on the road against like a real road environment Mm -hmm. in a big game at night. And you talk to people around the Kentucky program, like that, that Missouri game got in their crawl a little bit last year. Like they, they are like, they get upset when you ask them about that Missouri game because they feel like they were the better team and they went there. Um, they, a lot was going on with uh, John Schlarman. Was, that was the first game he missed. Mm-hmm. He went on to pass a few weeks later um, after they went and won at Tennessee. So, And then when you watch, if you went back and watched that game, it was a real aggravating game. Missouri just kept getting um, short third downs and was able to convert and kind of own the game where Kentucky's – that was really maybe the first or second big game where you were like – Eddie Graham might be in trouble yeah. if this is what they're doing. Um, so I, I think there's no no getting around how big that game is. And then from just a matchup standpoint, my thing in this, I just think Kentucky has a better roster. I think Missouri has a better quarterback. I just think Kentucky has a better roster. So when you go down the line, I think Kentucky should expect to win that game. You're at home, second game of the year. Um, you, I think you should expect to – I think Kentucky's a better team. They should take care of that game. But you mentioned the wild card is Liam Cohen and Steve Wilkes. Like, like Cohen's coming in with like this McVay blueprint. It's got people excited. But you, like what I've been telling people, you know, we can talk about it, but we don't know until we see it. Like I have mm-hmm. to see. We have to see it. You know, him actually call plays and them score points before you can get too too up or down about it. And I think Wilkes is the same way. Um, um, it's just different in college. It's going to be different level of defense. He's going to have to call. He's obviously more experienced, so that may give Missouri a little bit of an advantage. But um, there's a lot of unknown. But overall, that game, I just don't think you can get around the magnitude of that matchup. I think it's one of the bigger games in the SEC early in the year um, just because of that, because the winner of that is going to be positioned to make some noise. Like they're going to be positioned to host a game or play a big game where they're potentially in the top 25 playing a contender. And then that's a game where people are going to, pay more attention to so but to get there first they got to get through each other and so whoever wins that's going to be best set up to make more noise later in the season now one of the things you wrote about on, on Kentucky Sports Radio you talked to a lot of these coaches obviously there in Hoover asked them about uh, the line of scrimmage and that certainly looks to be a, a strength for Kentucky this year uh, you know how big can that be for the Wildcats in, in terms of just an advantage in SEC play next season yeah, I mean, you talk to anybody in the league. I mean, I talked to Josh Heupel. Um, I've talked to uh, Shane Beamer talked about it. Um, Drinkowitz talked about it. Really, all the new coaches to the league, they all talk about, like, that it's just different here. And so it, it's something you have to get right. Um, once you get that right, then you can do what you want. Now, Kentucky's got – they've gotten it right, especially on the offensive side of the ball here lately. I mean, they've you look at some of how the 
you know, PFF or some other people grade offensive line play, they're right up there, especially in the run game. Um, you look at Darian Kennard, I mean, he's he's as good as a run-blocking offensive tackle as you're going to find in college football, and he's a pretty good pass-blocking one at that too. Um, he's guy, if he puts it all together here, he could be a first-round draft pick. Darryl Rosenthal is an LSU transfer. He's still got to earn a spot, but you listen to Ed Orgeron and some of his LSU teammates in Hoover, and they talked about him like, like that's a guy you want on your mm-hmm. team in the line with you. Luke Fortner's a six-year super senior. He's got NFL potential. Um, was one of the best run-blocking players in the SEC last year. And then they got a bunch of other guys with some experience. And so, that like, that can be – when you team that with Chris Rodriguez, I think that can be a recipe for success. If you just have any small passing game at all, and it can really help your quarterback out. I think that's 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 the blueprint for Kentucky is to really kind of still be a run-heavy approach, but to have some misdirection and some play action off of that run-heavy stuff so you can keep defenses honest. And if you can do that with the way Mark Stoops and Brad White have built their defenses the last couple of years – that's going to keep you in games and it's going to give you a chance in the fourth quarter. Um, you just need to, every once in a while, you need to hit on some explosive class plays, which is something they just really struggled at. And if they can do that, um, then they're going to get into games late and they've proven that they can win close games in which, you know, but that's all you can ask for. You got to get in those games late. Last year, they weren't able to do that against some teams because the offense was just so anemic with the passing. Game. I mean, you look back to that Georgia game in the regular season, um, like that game was just, I mean, it was rock'em, sock'em, robots. Both teams beat the crap out of each other. It just – Kentucky had no pass game at all. So, even though Chris Rodriguez was running for over 100-plus yards, they really had just had no chance of that game um, because of some of the offensive ineptitude. And I think the Florida game was kind of the same way. They Like, they hung in there against Florida. The defense did, I thought. It's just they had no offense. So, if they can kind of get some offense going with, a you know, a top six or seven defense in the league, they're going to have a chance to really uh, make some noise, I think. You mentioned Chris Rodriguez. I had Nick Roush on the show, and he, bold bold prediction from Nick. And I listened to the eleven personnel, so I already know where you, where you stand on this. Uh, share with the listeners why you agree with Nick, thinking that uh, Chris Rodriguez is in for a huge season for Kentucky. Yeah, I mean Liam Cohen has already came out and said, you know, we're getting him twenty five plus touches a game, and you combine that with the you know the offensive line um, that he's running behind. And then you look at just some of the advanced numbers and the stats. I mean, you could even look at raw yards per carry number. They've been really good, but he hasn't gotten a full workload yet. And nothing to me has shown that he's going to slow down with a full workload. Um, I think it's he's going to kind of continue that over. And if he's putting those numbers together, you're looking at a guy that's going to rush for 1,600 yards or so and 20 touchdowns, which will be, you know, lead, will be up there leading the league and it's going to be right up there for All-American contention. Um, now we'll have to see, like, this new, the new running scheme is going to be different. Um, but not, but nothing leads me to believe that he's not going to have a, a big year. I think he's – I said all last year he's probably the m- most of efficient offensive player in college football. Um, you just got to kind of loss and a wash on a bad Kentucky offense. And they can keep that up this year. And then you get Wondell Robinson kind of going in the passing game. Um, you find any life at all in the passing game, I think you're really going to have something with that offense. But to answer your question, like Rodriguez has got a chance to set the single-season mark, um, Kentucky – um, rushing Nick guaranteed it just so you Nick know guaranteed uh, Nick uh, he's gonna go out uh, see I, Mike I did write a little piece on this I I was like because in my head I was thinking it but then when I kind of wrote the numbers down I was like man it's gonna like it's gonna be a little I mean it's hard to do I mean the number I think the number is like 1600 and something mm-hmm. um, but I think he's got a chance I think he's got a really really good chance at it 
I mean, I think he's due for a pretty big season um, because the difference between him and Benny Snell um, is he's got a little more burst. Like we've seen him bust off a run or two, mm-hmm. um, 50, 60 yarder. And that's something we never really saw from Snell that kind of make makes him different. So I think he's definitely like, I'd be pretty surprised if he wasn't a first team all SEC back at the end of the year. And I think he's got a real chance to compete for all American honors. Now, another a recent article you had on uh, Kentucky Sports Radio was on the, the smaller personnel that the Wildcats are going to mm-hmm. be breaking out on defense. So uh, can you can you explain that a little further? And uh, you got a breakout candidate because it seems like every dang year, Kentucky's got one or two guys on that defensive side of the ball that, you know, it seems like the NFL has no idea who they are. And then here comes draft. And then they're right. They got a top 15 pick on the team. Right. Yeah. Uh, basically, long story short, Kentucky's just thin at edge at outside linebacker and against Florida last year, JJ Weaver, who was a big four-star recruit for the program out of Louisville. Um, he tore his ACL. So now he's working out. It's sounding like he's going to be ready to play week one, um, but you have to be careful coming off that, you know, a major knee injury like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so when you look at that, they're just very thin there at outside linebacker, but they're not thin at safety. Yusuf Corker, I think, is a guy like you could like he could be a guy like the like you look up and he's around the league leading tackles. He's just making a lot of plays, and you're just like, oh wow, he's pretty good. Um Devontae Robinson was a guy in 2018, was really came on strong. He 2019 training camp, he had a quadriceps injury, like Taurus quad or whatever. Um, it's a long journey back. Even like in training camp last year, Snoops was like, Well, he's still not really ready. Um, he's still not 100%. Well, he came back for a super senior season. He's a guy I will watch out because he can test off the chart. And, um, he's got a lot of range. And I think he could be a guy that they kind of use as kind of when they do some of these, I think, dime looks and use maybe him as like a linebacker or something. Um, I think he's going to be one to, one to definitely watch. A young player, Vito Tisdale, flashed last year and has really had some, um, you know, light eyeball moments where, I mean, he can really – deliver a blow he's got a lot of speed um, now how they fit him in is going to be interesting because him and Robinson are kind of in the same mold but there's just no physical way that they can play their best 11 without having you know playing three or four safeties at a time and so how they decide to use those guys is going to be really fascinating that's for me is kind of what I'm going to be paying attention to early um, and I think it could catch some people by surprise early in the season with how they're using their personnel on defense because it might be different than anything they've done in the past. All right, last question for you, Adam. I really appreciate all the time. Who do you think starts at quarterback for Kentucky, if, even if it's just a guess against uh, Louisiana Monroe? Yeah, I think it's Will Levis. I think the writing's on the wall there a little bit. Liam Cohen got this job, got to Lexington, and it didn't take him long to go hit the portal. Um, they're both from New England. They've got a little background. Bruce Feldman of The Athletic wrote a big piece on Cohen kind of being the, the, the net, maybe the next, you know, Joe Brady. Mm-hmm. And then he came back a few weeks later and wrote a post about Will Levis transferring, <laughs> kind of being the next guy. <laughs> I think it's going to take a lot for Gatewood to beat out Will Levis. I just think they're just kind of – I think when you hire a new offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator, you're hiring him and you're and you when you're a season uh, – set coach that comfortable in your position like Mark Stoops is but you realizing that you your offense is broken you're you're picking this guy and you're like you fix it do whatever you got to do to fix it but you got to give him some flexibility on that and I think this is kind of what that is you're going to go let him get his guy 
and just we'll see and turn him loose and see what they can do. Um, but from all accounts, Gatewood did make a big strides in the spring. Um, so we'll see what happens in the summer or in fall camp here starting up later this week. Um, but right now I would, I would, I feel pretty comfortable saying Levis is going to be the guy, but you know how, the, you know how that stuff goes, you know, you just never mm-hmm. know until you go through it. Um, but all signs kind of point to will Levis be in QB one for Kentucky when they open up the season on Labor Day weekend. Oh yeah. And I forgot real quick, uh, plug what you guys are doing because uh, you're partnering up now with on three yeah, sports. Yeah. So some really great news for us. Yeah. Um, um, KSR is now a member of on three sports. Shannon Terry, who started rivals, um, started two, four, seven. It's like his new venture. Um, so it really, we're all launching this week. There's a bunch of sites launching. We got a Clemson site, Ohio state site. Um, we're going to have, you know, uh, Right. We're going to have a recruiting database ranking that's really going to be some state-of-the-art type stuff coming later in October. It's not much I can really say about it right now, but it's going to be um, a big deal when that, when that thing comes out. And so we're just building up a team right now. And for KSR, none of our coverage is changing. Um, what This is just going to give us more resources and access to do stuff um, even better than we've done in the past. But it's really exciting. Um, Ivan Mazel um, mm-hmm. of ESPN, formerly, he's – kind of our big national writer. We've got Chad Simmons running our recruiting operation who originally came from Rivals, was kind of their chief guy. And so we got a really good team of people together working, um, and we're just doing some really great things. And I think it's um, – I mean, I, I highly, I highly, I'm highly excited about it, and I highly endorse it. I think you should come check us out. I'm doing some writing for our Clemson site right now, clemsonsports.com. Um, so there's a lot of good stuff going on in, uh, you know, this season we're really ramping up, but then it, it, we're going to keep building momentum and next year is really going to be where we'll be in full swing. But right now we're launching and it, it's an exciting time for us over here at KSR. Absolutely. Well, Hey, Adam, thanks so much. I really appreciate all the time you spent with us. And uh, this, I think our fans are really going to appreciate it. No problem. Mike, anytime. Thanks for having me on, man. All right. We just want to say thanks again to Adam for joining the show. I hope you guys really appreciated that and able to hit on a number of the SEC teams and, He does a terrific job. If you're not following him already, Adam Luckett, KSR, give him a follow. Check out his work at uh, Kentucky Sports Radio, and I can't wait to see what they got cooked up there at On3 Sports. That sounds like a very interesting, you know, that's going to be, that's a new website that they just launched it, but I think it's going to be a huge player, just like the rest of these in in the college football realm. So got to check that out. But, uh, hey, that's going to do it for this episode. And as always, if you made it this far, give us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app. And if you send that on over, you know, show us your review, send that on over to thatsecpodcast at gmail.com. We'll send you a beer koozie free of charge just for doing that. That's just our way of saying thanks for each and every one of you listeners for writing us that review. And it's absolutely free. So, Uh, We really do appreciate all the loyal listeners. And now that football is here, our numbers are driving up. We're top 20 in the Apple Podcast app for football. So couldn't be happier with uh, all that's going on there. But uh, I'm rambling. So just like Cousin Shade, I'm going to jump off the line. Appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. And we'll catch you on the next one.